Hello there, and welcome to our Sardis Fellowship Sermon Podcast. My name is Richard Frankowitz, and I'm the Youth Director here at Sardis Fellowship. To find info on our speaker and series, please check the podcast description. Thanks for listening, and enjoy! One of the hardest things in sharing the gospel with someone is knowing what to say. Is that true? You know, where do you begin in the conversation, right? Where do you begin if they start asking questions and you try to answer, you try to put it together in a way that seems to make sense, but it's rather confusing? Or worse yet, what if you say the wrong thing, right? Like, I'm in, am I on the hook as a heretic if I get something wrong? So these are kind of the thoughts and feelings I think we have when we're talking about sharing the gospel with someone. We might think, well, maybe it's better off just to leave it to the professionals, you know, the evangelists and the pastors, but for us, just, you know, regular Christians, I don't think we should get involved in that. And maybe to some degree that has been your thinking. At the end of last week's message, when we were talking about walk the talk and walk the walk, the emphasis in that one was really on looking at our actions and making sure they line up with what we say we believe about following Jesus and who he is. I said that I would come back to this part about the talk. There was a a particular verse that I had shared with you, and I said to you last week that I found that verse very freeing because it seems to take off of our shoulders maybe an undue pressure that we put on ourselves when it comes to this idea about sharing the gospel. And so the verse is this, 1 Peter 3.15. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have but do this with gentleness and respect. So the first line of that verse would sum up a person who's a follower of Christ, that you've come to understand who Jesus is and you have willfully said yes to Christ and you've been saved in that sense, okay? The last part, but do this with gentleness and respect, would be that that's how you should go about living your life and sharing your faith with that kind of a spirit. But it's that middle part right there that sometimes I was saying can be confusing because we might hear in there that it says always be prepared to give an answer for every question that people have about the Christian faith. And that's where I was saying, no, 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 that's not actually what that says. Now, it's great to be able to give answers to people for sure, but I think what I see happening so often is that I feel the pressure, I have to be ready to answer everyone's question, and if I'm not ready to answer everyone's question, then I'm not actually ready to speak about the one thing I do know. Does that make sense? That I'm actually not willing to risk saying what I do know about Jesus Christ in my life because I'm afraid of the fact that they might begin to ask questions that I don't know how to answer, and therefore we just remain silent. But it is our job. We are followers of Jesus Christ, and every single one of us bear witness to Christ through our life, through our actions, and through our words. We must be ready to give the reason for the hope that we have in Christ. Um, What I want to say here about this verse that I find freeing is I don't have to give an exhaustive explanation of the gospel every time. Uh, You don't have to bring in every element that you've ever heard about the gospel in order for you to be faithful to what Christ would have you to be a part of in sharing the gospel. We just need to be true to the part that's true. We need to be ready to share what it is that is my hope in Jesus Christ. Um, My answer to the question about what is my hope might be different from the answer that you would give because of life experiences. Now, we would center on Christ. I think all of us aren't going to stray too far from Jesus in giving some kind of an explanation for the hope that I have. But your life circumstances are unique. 
Therefore, the way in which you frame it or what you choose to talk about will be uniquely distinct from my journey in life, even though there's similarities, for sure. We bump up against the same kinds of things, but there's a uniqueness. So one person might say something like this. Before I met Jesus, I had no hope. I lived in despair, but now I have joy in life and I know where I'm going when I die. That could be one person's experience. Someone else might say, I thought all Christians didn't even know how to think. But one day I was pondering deeply about life and what it's all about and I looked around the world that I live in and I began to see that there had to be a creator behind it all. And Jesus is that creator. Another person might say something like this, before meeting Jesus, I felt alone in the world. And now I know the love of God for me and his presence is always with me. Never will he leave me, never will he forsake me. Someone else might answer, before meeting Jesus, I felt so much guilt for the things that I had done. I hurt people. But now I've experienced the forgiveness of God and he's taken away my guilt and my shame and he's put love in my heart. Always be prepared to give an answer to anyone who asks for the reason of the hope that you have may look different depending on your story, but it's going to center on who Christ is and what he's done right in the center of it. A couple of weeks ago, I uh, was listening to a short presentation on AI, uh, which is artificial intelligence, not avian influenza, but it does get used for both of those and it's in the news and the paper, so artificial intelligence. Now, I really hadn't gotten much into this, but this person had been trained and they were giving lots of information and I found it very interesting. And uh, as they were sharing, I was taking in the information, taking in some of the big points, and then afterwards I was repeating some of that information to a friend of mine. And he was very interested and he started to ask me a bunch of questions, to which I began to say, well, I don't know. I, I don't know all that there is to know about this. All I know is that it's here and it's for real and it's not going away, and we have to learn to adapt to it. That's what I took away from that seminar. And then he would say, yeah, but how does it impact and benefit businesses? And I said, I don't know, but it's here, and it's benefiting businesses, and it's not going away, and we have to learn to adapt to it. So my point is this. You don't have to be an expert on everything to know that something is real. But that's how sometimes we may feel about sharing the gospel, that I have to be an expert in it before God can use me to answer someone's question. But the question you're answering is the hope that you have in Jesus Christ. You own that piece. I'm not saying don't continue to learn. I'm saying start with what you have. I, I think many of us feel like when we come to sharing the gospel that there's this thing that seems so large and so cumbersome that I, I can't even really begin. And I'm trying to encourage you to take that off of your shoulders and say, no, first and foremost, there's something that is true in your life, and that's what Christ wants you to be true to, that you are a witness of that that has taken place in your life. And so I'd like for us to look at a story in the New Testament that highlights the point of this verse, which I'm hoping at the end of the story you will be able to say, I can do that. And you know, this whole sermon series is set up to try to encourage us. It's not easy for me either. You know, I just sat on an airplane going back and forth to Toronto and you make small talk with the people beside you and you're kind of wondering, well, how do you go from small talk to maybe a little bit more of a meaningful conversation that maybe, just maybe, will head towards something about the Lord, right? I know how hard that 
is to, to be a, a part of those kinds of conversations. But what I'm trying to do in this sermon series is to say, it isn't just up to a few of us to realize that God is using our lives. It's each and every one of us. And you really don't have to change anything. We're not asking you to go and just start flying airplanes so you can share your faith. That's not it at all. Where do you live? Who's your neighbors? Who are your friends? Who's your family? Where do you go to work? Where do you go to school? Where do you go to play? Because those are the people that are already in your life that God has you there to be a witness to. All we have to do is open our eyes and begin to see what are the opportunities, God, that you're giving me. And so this story is going to help us see this one vital point that I hope we take away uh, from this message today. It's found in John chapter 9. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there or on your phone, you can go there. I will also put the uh, text up on the screen so we can read it together. It's a story about physical blindness and Jesus uses it also as an illustration about spiritual blindness. Not a hard concept for us to understand. Let's dig into this and take a look. At the very end of the story, Jesus even says about this, he says that he's come into the world, for judgment I've come into this world so that the blind will see and those who see will become blind. Okay, we're going to find out what is he talking about there. Spiritually speaking, Jesus opens our eyes so that we can see the truth of the gospel. Here's how the story goes. Jesus was walking through Jerusalem with his disciples. It was just after one of the feasts. And they come across a man who was born blind. That seems to be significant to this story. He was born that way. The disciples immediately have a question, and they take the opportunity to ask it of Jesus. And basically it goes something like this. Whose fault is it that this man was born blind? Is it his own? Or was it something his parents did? Why is he blind? So they asked this to Jesus. Obviously displaying or showing that they had a thought in that day, a faulty one, about how this worked, that if a person was born blind, then someone must be at fault for this. That was the idea in their day. Jesus says, no, it's not his fault nor his parents' fault. Uh, you know, we live in a fallen world. These are the things that are a part of an overall consequence of sin on all of creation, on all of creation. But God has plans and purposes for everyone, whether born blind or born able to see. Both situations can bring glory to God, and he does. But in this particular case, Jesus says this. Neither this man nor his parents sinned, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. And then he goes on to say, while I am in the world, I am the light of the world. That's probably key to what is about to happen in the story. After saying this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So the man went and washed and came home seen. So Jesus says, I am the light of the world. The next thing he does is this weird thing of spitting on the ground, making mud, putting it on his eyes, go wash, and the man goes home seen. Do you follow? He's the light of the world, this man now sees. Uh, we need to stop for a moment and talk about this whole, why would he make mud out of spit? Like, what is going on with this, right? Uh, to be honest, um, there's lots of dialogue around what this could mean, but there's a couple of things that, that I read this week that seem to make some sense. One is that this happened on a Sabbath. You see, this story really creates a, a, a stirring in the community because, one, the man was blind and now he sees, so that in itself. Two, Jesus did it on a Sabbath day. He did it when he wasn't supposed to work. And they concluded that the making of mud, the kneading of it, just like the same word for kneading dough was used for making mud. Ah, therefore Jesus has violated the Sabbath. Well, Jesus knows that. He knows it's the Sabbath. He knows that he's going to do this. So why do that particular element of making mud? 
that it would draw such attention to actually breaking the Sabbath. And I think it's because he's doing a double meaning here. Yeah, he's going to do a miracle and heal the man, but he's also going to say to the Pharisees, I'm calling out your hypocrisy. I'm calling out the fact that you never know the main thing of the law, but you're willing to stand on just this one little thing that you think you know so well. And he's constantly drawing out their hypocrisy. Someone said to me this week, and he's in this room, and it was a great little thought. He said, we have to be careful that we're not so focused on crossing our T's and dotting our I's that we miss the mission. That was great. And the Pharisees were great at that. Dotting their I's, crossing their T's, and missing the mission. And Christ does this intentionally. The second thing that's interesting is that it could be an allusion back to the original creation. And Genesis 2 talks about the fact that God created humanity out of the dust of the earth. And here what we have is Jesus taking those same elements and doing a recreation, you might say, to heal this man and to bring back his eyesight. And so those are a couple of ideas. Trust me, you can read um, a lot more than that. But whatever the exact reason about the mud being applied to his eyes, the point is that Jesus heals a man who is blind and not only a man who is blind, but a man who was born blind. Some of that has significance, and we're going to pick up on that. Interestingly, the man's neighbors and the people who had formerly seen him begging on the side of wherever he was begging, they questioned, they asked this question, isn't this the man who used to sit and beg? Some said it is, and others said, no, it only looks like him. So my first thought to that is, okay, you're the neighbors, the text says, of the man, and you have other people have seen him begging in that place regularly, probably every day. How is it that you couldn't know for sure who the man was? Right? Like, how did you miss that? And then I got to thinking, well, maybe they do what we often do when we see a person that's sitting and begging. Maybe they have a hoodie on, right? We don't necessarily get down and look in their eyes and see what they really look like. In fact, we probably try to not make eye contact. And we just walk by. So although you might recognize the clothing that a person wears, you wouldn't necessarily be able to identify them, especially now that they're up and they're walking and they're seeing and they're doing everything they would have been doing as if they had never once been blind. That doesn't quite look like the form that this person had when they were begging. Now they just look like they've never been blind in their life. And, and so I think maybe we too would miss, have this kind of idea where, well, I think it's him. Some might have been really sure, I know it's him. But there's others that are going, I'm not so sure that it's him. But he himself gave testimony and said, I am that man. How then were your eyes open, they asked. He replied, the man they called Jesus made some mud, put it on my eyes, and he told me to go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed, and then I could see. Where is this man, they asked him. I don't know, he said. Interesting, the man answers their question. He can answer what he knows. He doesn't answer what he doesn't know. All he knows is that a man called Jesus told him to do this, and he did it, and now he can see. So these people do what any good neighbor would do. They haul him off to the Pharisees. <laughs> no, out of fairness, they brought the man to the Pharisee, and, and it's like, well, what's your intention here? I think their intention is that they're going to their spiritual leaders to try to gain some kind of deeper insight or explanation for what has just happened, because they know that the man was blind, and now he sees, so what's going on? So they don't really know what is about to happen by taking him to the Pharisees, which is they don't treat him very well. They're not too excited about the fact that this man claims that he's been healed, and he's been healed by Jesus. Therefore, the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. 
He put mud on my eyes, the man replied. I washed and now I see. It's really interesting to see that his testimony the second time is kind of getting shorter. He put mud on my eyes, I washed and now I see. Doesn't bother going into the rest of the details, there you go. Some of the Pharisees said, this man Jesus, this man Jesus is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others asked, how can a sinner perform such signs? So they were divided. Then they turned again to the blind man. What have you to say about him? It was your eyes he opened. How unfair is that, right? You're the recipient of what someone else does to you. Now give a count. Who is he? Identify him. They can't accept the fact that Jesus has healed the man, so now they turn on him as if somehow he's going to know something more than what he's just shared with them. What have you to say about him, they say to him. Another question. The man replied, he's a prophet. Well, you know what? That's a pretty good answer, right? It's in the ballpark. He's not wrong. He's a whole lot closer than what the Pharisees are getting with the fact that he must be a sinner. And the man offers his best attempt. Is it good enough? No, it's not good enough. They don't believe that he was ever born blind, so they call his parents. They bring his parents in. They ask the parents, and the parents say, we know he is our son, and we know that he was born blind. But how he can see now, or who opened his eyes, we don't know. Ask him. He's of age. He will speak for himself. Kind of throwing him under the bus there. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders who already had decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. So they're kind of like, um, you know what? We don't want to be thrown out. Our son can speak for himself. Now, the leaders at this point are getting really frustrated with this whole thing because what they want to do is catch the man in a lie or some untruth that would uncover some answer other than the fact that Jesus had healed him. They just can't accept the fact that he was born blind and they can't accept the fact that now he can see. So not getting the answer from the parents, they decide to call the guy back a second time. They start off their conversation the second time. Give glory to God by telling the truth, you liar. No, oh, that's not in the text of scripture. They said, we know this man is a sinner. But it has that, that offensive sense to it, doesn't it? We've called you in once. You told us your story. We've called in your parents. They've validated the fact that you were born blind. We can't make sense of this. Therefore, tell the truth. Well, what truth are they looking for? They're putting pressure on him to say, all right, I was never blind. All right, it wasn't Jesus. All right, I haven't been healed. Something. Something that's going to make sense for their faith. But he doesn't give that answer. Tell the truth. He has told the truth. Sorry, folks. I did a lot of talking there and covered a lot of notes. <laughs> I love his reply. Whether Jesus is a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know. I was blind, but now I see. This is his third testimony. The first testimony goes into all the details. The second testimony, he gives the one, two, three. Mud, right? Pool, sea. Now he says, this is what I know. I was blind, but now I see. I love that. I love that part of this message because that is the heart of the message. The more the religious leaders denied the truth that this man was telling them, the more blinded they became. But the more that he, this man, was asked the questions by the religious leaders, he saw through what they were trying to do. And he would have none of it. He became more bold in his witness. Then he turns around. They ask him, what did Jesus do? How exactly did he open your eyes? And he answers, I've already told you. You did not listen. Why? Do you want to hear it again? 
I mean, there's sarcasm in here. You can't tell me this guy's not wise to what's going on in this situation. Do you want to become his disciples too? Oh my goodness. <laughs> he is baiting them. Then they hurled insults at him and said, you are this fellow's disciple. We are disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses, but as for this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. The Pharisees hurled insults at him. Wow, wonderful spiritual leaders. I'm sure Moses was delighted to know that his name is in league with them and their version of how to handle this situation. He becomes even more bold. The man answered, now that is remarkable. You don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to godly person, to the godly person who does his will. Nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. I, it's not like I had my sight and I temporarily lost it and now I can see again. I have been blind my entire life from birth. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. To this they replied, you were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. They threw him out of the synagogue. They did to him what his parents feared that they would do to them. Now you have to be amazed at this man's resilience and his persistence. The more that the Pharisees spoke, the more he realized he saw through their facade. They didn't have faith. They didn't believe his testimony. They're calling him a liar. They're just trying to trip him up to somehow get an answer that they want. To the degree that the Pharisees disbelieved, their blindness continued to get deeper. So much so that in their anger they go, you are steeped in sin at birth. Well, what are you claiming when you make that claim? Well, that he was actually blind at birth. The very thing that they were trying to make him say he wasn't. And now the fact that he sees, when you say that, what are you now saying? You're admitting that someone healed him. <laughs> That's right. So for all the obvious answers that the man gave him, that they just continued to deny, 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 they just got deeper into their darkness, into their blindness, and they could not see even the obviousness of it. The truth was in front of them, but they did not have the faith to believe that Jesus had done that. Here's how the story ends. Jesus finds the man who had been thrown out of the synagogue for testifying for the truth. Jesus goes and finds the man. And I think of this verse that Jesus spoke in a different context. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. I think Jesus seeks out people today who are living that reality. And he walks alongside them through their persecution. He seeks this man out. He doesn't leave him thrown out of the synagogue without closing off this story. He goes and he finds the man. Jesus heard that they had thrown him out. And when he found him, he said, do you believe in the son of man? Who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me that I may believe in him. You gotta remember, he has not seen Jesus yet, right? Right? He hasn't seen Jesus. He doesn't know this guy standing before him. Now, maybe he could recognize his voice. Maybe he's on to who this is, but he has not seen Jesus until this moment with his own eyes. Jesus said, you have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. Then the man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. I think that's pretty key, my friends. Lord, I believe. And we worship him. Amen. In your heart, revere Christ as Lord that you might be able to worship him, that you might be able to give an answer for the hope that you have. I was blind, but now I see. Jesus goes on to say, for judgment I've come into this world. By the way, what that means is, by nature of the fact that Jesus is the righteous and holy one of God who has come into the world, people have to choose. You either accept or reject. That's judgment. Based on what Christ has done and based on what Christ is offering, 
you either receive or reject. For judgment, I've come into this world so that the blind will see, and those who see will become blind. It's a play on words, right? If you know you're blind and you come to Jesus Christ, you're going to find the freedom. You're going to find the light. You're going to find the hope. If you claim, I'm just fine. I'm a good person. I have it all together. I don't need you. Thank you very much. You will just get steeped in your own blindness. Some Pharisees who were there with him heard him say this and asked, what? Are we blind too? <laughs> Jesus said, if you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim that you can see, your guilt remains. Again, flipping it around. It's kind of like the doctor in the sickness, right? Other texts of scripture, Jesus is the doctor that has come for the sick. But for those who don't think they're sick, well, the doctor can't heal you then. And in this case, you can't have your eyes opened. You're, you're stuck in spiritual blindness. It's an amazing story. I'm glad that the Apostle John, moved by the Holy Spirit, chose to record it for us because I find it very empowering. The main part of this story that I'm trying to encourage you with is that all this man did was tell his story. You have a story that is worth telling. I know often we think it's not worth telling, but it's worth telling. You don't know how God is going to use it to impact someone else. The first time that this man was asked by his neighbors, he gave all the details. The second time it was slimmed down. And the third time he just merely said this, I was blind, but now I see. How would you fill in the blanks in your story of I was blind, but now I see? Because it will look different for each of us. You know, this man doesn't have all the answers to the questions that they asked. He attempted. They weren't willing to listen. But sharing the gospel is not about having all the answers or winning an argument or trying to sell something. It's not about trying to control the outcome of the conversation. It's just having an honest, listening dialogue with another person and allowing the Spirit of God to use your story to help that person understand who Jesus is in your life. Being ready to give the reason for the hope that you have in Jesus. You can do that. We can do that. That's what Christ asked of us, each and every one of us. There are many people out there who are much smarter than me in this world. Spoiler alert. There are many people that could argue their point better than me and win a debate. But this one thing I know, I was blind, but now I see. I know what sin is. I know the consequence of sin and how it leaves us spiritually blinded. I've felt it for myself. I see it all around me. I know the sense of hopelessness outside of Christ, the hopelessness of life if it's just me or me first or get as much as you can. There's nothing more to life than what you see with your eye. If there's nothing more than that, then go get it. And a lot of people live that way. If there's no God and there's no God to give an account to, then... There's no God demanding anything of me so I can do what I want. I'm just a biological accident bumping up against another biological accident, so you better win. But don't get me wrong. There are many people that choose to be nice and choose to be kind. There's many people that do all sorts of wonderful things. But if there's no God and if there's no life to come, then what's the reason for doing it? What's it all about? Unless, unless there is an answer. Unless there is a God who says, I have come. I have come into this world to do something, to rescue you from your sinfulness inside of me. Before I look out there at other people, it starts inside of me. We are so good at looking at the sin in the world around us. And Jesus said, I've come into this world for you, for your sin. What are you going to do with me? Will you believe or not believe? 
Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on them. That's a decision for each and every one of us. And so while this sermon series is predominantly designed to challenge us as followers of Christ to share the gospel, I'm also this morning challenging you that if you're not yet a person who's come to believe in Jesus, you can. Put your faith in Jesus Christ. There's no formula. There's no magic. There's one thing. Do you believe or do you not believe? Do you receive or do you reject? Jesus has done it all. What are you going to do with what God has done for you? And you know, I'm going to play a short video clip at this time. It's two and a half minutes long. It's Pastor Alistair Begg, a well-known pastor down in the States, although he has a British accent, um, well-loved by many. Maybe you've heard this clip. It went around um, Facebook and different kinds of TikTok stuff and that sort of thing. But it fits our message today. So we're going to watch this two and a half minute long video. Without the preaching of the cross, without preaching the cross to ourselves all day and every day, we will very, very quickly revert to faith plus works as the ground of our salvation. So that to go to the old uh, Fort Lauderdale question, if you were to die tonight and, and, and you were getting entry into heaven, what would you say? If you answer that, and if I answer it in the first person, We've immediately gone wrong. Because I, because I believed, because I have faith, because I am this, because I am continuing. Loved ones, the only proper answer is in the third person. Because he, because he. Think about the thief on the cross. What an immense, I can't, I can't wait to find that fellow one day to ask him, how did that shake out for you? Because you were, you were, you were, you were cussing the guy out with your friend. You've never been in a Bible study. You never got baptized. You, never, you didn't know a thing about church membership. And, and, yet, and yet, you made it. You made it. How did you make it? That's what the angel must have said. You know, like, what are you doing here? Well, I don't know. What, what do you mean you don't know? Well, because like, I don't know. Well, you know, we, uh, did you, <laughs> excuse me, let me get my supervisor. Did you go get the supervisor, Ranger? So, we just a few questions for you. First of all, are you are you are you are you clear on the doctrine of justification by faith? <laughs> the guy said, "I never heard of it in my life." And and what about? Let's just go to the doctrine of Scripture immediately. This guy's just staring. And eventually, in frustration, he says, "On on what basis are you here?" And he said. The man on the middle cross said, I can come. Now, now, that's the, that is the only answer. That is the only answer. Amen. Yeah, I, I think that he's making that point really well. And we get that. The Apostle Paul said... I am not ashamed of the gospel. Here it is right here. For I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. You know, he already corrected my theology. Answer in the third person. He. <laughs> it's his power. It's his grace. It's his work. All I've done is said yes. The man in the middle said I could come. 
We're going to sing a couple songs in response to this message now, so I invite the worship team to come up, uh, and then after that I'll, I'll close off our service uh, with a benediction. But let's really reflect in our hearts this main idea that... The simplicity of the gospel is the cross of Jesus Christ and it's complete and it's complete in him and what he has done for us. And you have a story that is worth telling and God wants you to know that you can be true to give the answer to the question for the hope that you have in you. It's Jesus. The man in the middle, he said I could come. So can you. Let's sing about that. Thanks for listening to our Sardis Fellowship Sermon Podcast. If you'd like to learn more about our church, please check out sardisfellowship.com. Have a great day and God bless.